Well, good morning again. Um, you guys deserve special credit for being here when it's 12 degrees outside and an hour early in, on, in your internal clock, so thank you. <laughs> um, like Keith said, today we're continuing our series on our seven core values. We've made it through four so far. We've talked about, uh, what have we talked about? Stewardship, prayer, biblical teaching, last week was outreach, and this week we are talking about our fifth value, which is service. Uh, we as a church value serving one another. Now there's a lot of places in scripture that we could turn to to talk about this whole concept of serving one another. Uh, but there's one that really stands out to me a lot, and I just want to spend this whole morning in this one passage, because I think it is so significant. I know in this series, we've kind of, when it comes to using scripture, we've bounced around a lot, and this morning, I just really want to linger in one passage and get as much out of it as we can. Uh, but this passage is John 13, 1 through 18, and uh, I think this is such an important passage when it comes to this topic of service, because it shows us three things. It shows us what service looks like, shows us why we should value service, and it shows us what we need to do before we can serve. Uh, so the, the setting for this passage is the, la the, um, the Last Supper, uh, which we celebrate at communion every week. Uh, and this is right before Jesus is about to be betrayed and handed over to be crucified. So just get that, that setting in your head. Uh, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to follow along uh, in, in the text right in front of you, but I will have it up here as well. So John 13, uh, starting in verse 1. And let's just say a quick prayer before we get into this. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for the chance to study it together. Uh, God, we ask that uh, your Holy Spirit would empower these words to uh, give us insight into who you are and uh, to transform us, Lord. We don't want to uh, just read this in the abstract or in theory, God, but we want it to affect our lives. And so we thank you for the example that you've provided here, and we pray, Lord, that as we read it, it would have power in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his, his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Well then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. 
His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. All right, so there's a lot for us to talk about there. But remember, I said there's three things that we have to learn about service in this passage. So let's start with the first one, which is it shows us what service looks like. And what it tells us is that service looks like washing feet. So what does that mean? Well, when Jesus lived, uh, it was very hot and dusty in that part of the world. And if you had any shoes, uh, they were not closed shoes. They were open. So as you went about your day, your feet would get really dirty, really nasty, probably very dry and calloused, uh, maybe a little cut up and bloodied. And so when you arrived at whatever destination you were going to, it was this great relief to be able to dunk your feet in cool water. Uh, and so good hosts, it was a sign of good hospitality for good hosts to provide a basin for guests to wash their feet in. And some hosts might even provide a servant who would wash your feet for you. But there were certain rules about who would and who would not do that kind of work of washing feet. Because in those days, feet, even more so than today, were seen as repulsive, gross. You know, that's uh, not an attractive thing, your feet. Uh, obviously because they got all covered in, in dirt and dust and sweat and everything. Um, and so if you were going to wash someone's feet, that was seen as a very humiliating act. Uh, and it, so much so, from what I've heard, that Jewish rabbis used to teach that if you had a servant who was Jewish, you shouldn't make them wash feet. If you have a Gentile servant, that's okay. You can, you can let a Gentile servant wash feet. But if your servant was Jewish, that's, you want to spare them that indignity. That's just, that's just too much. And that's very interesting because unlike the Greco-Roman culture, the Jewish culture did recognize humility as a virtue. Um, but washing feet, that's just going too far. That's too humiliating. But Jesus goes that far, right? Jesus the Jew. Jesus the rabbi. And not only that, but you notice he uses his own clothing. He takes off his outer garment to wipe the feet. I mean, that's, that's remarkable. So when we say that service looks like Jesus washing feet, uh, we're saying at least three things. Uh, the first thing we're saying is that service means being willing to do things that might feel beneath us in order to bless others. Not... <laughs> Service doesn't mean doing things that might feel beneath us just to do things that feel beneath us, okay? But in order to bless others. 
So what does that look like? Well, here's a practical example. Uh, say you are a very well-educated person. Uh, you come from a good family background, and you've lived a fairly privileged life. Uh, and you are looking for a job, and you're faced with two job options. Uh, one is going to increase your income and status, and one isn't going to increase your income and status. Let's say the second one will be sufficient to meet your needs, but it's not going to put you in a higher income bracket. Uh, well, if we are the kind of people who have a washing feet mentality, then uh, we are not going to let our decision be dictated by just income and status. Uh, we're going to ask questions like, which one of these jobs would best help me to bless those around me? Or which one of these jobs is best going to help me to help remedy the pain and suffering that exists in the world? Um, we're going to allow those sorts of questions to play a significant role in guiding our decision. We're not just going to let things like income and status direct our choice. Another thing uh, service means, if it looks like Jesus washing feet, is that it means being willing to do things that might feel awkward or uncomfortable. Um, and I want to talk about this one for a little while because um, I've noticed that people tend to describe social situations as being awkward a lot these days. And uh, I think this is true especially of people in the millennial generation, which I am a part of, kind of, just barely. Um, we're always walking away from conversations or interviews and saying, oh, that was awkward. And uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I think that my generation in particular both fears things being awkward in social situations and is very quick to label social situations as awkward. Um, so we try to avoid situations that we think will be awkward and uh, we perceive awkwardness very easily. Now, I have a theory about why this is true. Uh, and this is not scripture talking, this is just me. You know, sometimes when Paul's writing, he says, I say this, not the Lord. So this is just me, take it for what it's worth. But I have two ideas why my generation is always perceiving everything as awkward. Uh, one is because we have grown up with more media than any other generation. Uh, you know, television, movies, advertising. And in media, everything's very sleek and stylized. And so when you're constantly inundated with sleek and stylized material, real life feels awkward. You know, because media is scripted. Real life is unscripted. And in real life, you know, there are awkward pauses and conversations, and you trip over your words. But that doesn't really happen in movies and TV most of the time. Everything's very sleek. Um, so I think my generation has a lower tolerance for awkwardness, the unscriptedness of real life. I think another reason is because uh, my generation has been able to communicate a lot without having face-to-face -face interaction. So we do texting, we do instant messenger, we do Facebook, we do all that stuff. And when you have conversations that way, you can get a message and you can look at it and you can go, what am I gonna say to this? And think about it for a while, right? come up with that witty one-liner that you couldn't come up with on the spot, but if you have you know, 30 seconds, then you can come up with something. Um, <clears throat> but real life, of course, doesn't afford you all that, that time. So real life involves awkward pauses and not knowing what to say and that sort of thing. 
And so if we're used to non-face-to-face -face social media kind of conversation, when we actually have a real conversation, we're like, oh, this is awkward, I'm uncomfortable. So anyway, that's my theory. Uh, take it for what it's worth. <laughs> Um, but regardless of why we're so prone to see life as awkward, Jesus' example of washing feet is a reminder that the fear of awkwardness should not keep us from serving others. Uh, and, you know, fear of awkwardness can keep us from doing so many things. So many things. Like fear of awkwardness can keep you from having a conversation with someone. It can keep you from attending a small group. You know, fear of awkwardness is the voice that says, well, what if I go and it's quiet? Or what if I go and I say something and it's stupid and, you know, people judge me for it? Um, fear of awkwardness can keep us from offering someone prayer. You know, we might think, oh, what if they don't want me to pray for them? Or, you know, what if I make them feel weird? Or what if I pray and I say the wrong thing? You know, it can keep us, fear of awkwardness can keep us from doing so many things and so many of the things that it keeps us from doing are the things that make people feel loved and cared for. Um, so Jesus' example of washing feet is this reminder. Don't let that hold you back. Don't let the fear of awkwardness dictate what you do. Let love lead, not fear. Because, yeah, it's, uh, it's awkward to wash feet. It's awkward to have your feet washed, too. But don't let that hold you back. Finally, a third thing that the story teaches us about what service looks like is that service doesn't discriminate. It doesn't discriminate. You may have noticed that there's at least two occasions in this passage where Jesus refers to Judas. He doesn't refer to him by name, but he refers to Judas. And he refers to Judas as one who is going to betray him. But do you notice that it doesn't exclude Judas when it talks about Jesus washing everyone's feet. Now, as far as we know, uh, when, when Jesus came to Judas's dirty, nasty feet, in full knowledge of what Judas was going to do, Jesus still washed his feet. He didn't skip him. Jesus didn't limit his love and service to those who were on his side. Right? He served even his enemy. And although that's an extremely difficult example to follow, it's something we need to remember. We shouldn't limit our service only to people who we perceive as being with us on our side. Now, I want to take a brief tangent to talk a little about Judas and Jesus and that relationship there. Because that's always been something that is difficult for me, confusing for me. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's something that is difficult for you too, so if it is, hopefully this will be helpful. Um, but if you're anything like me, verse 18 is, is confusing. Uh, in verse 18, Jesus says, I am not referring to all of you, after he said all this stuff about washing feet, I'm not referring to all of you, I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the scripture, he who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Now, I just got finished saying that Jesus' service is so radical and his love is so remarkable that he didn't discriminate, right? It's like, that's a really neat idea. It's, 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 it's remarkable. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's uh, comforting, I would say, uh, because he served even Judas. But then we come to this verse. 
And this verse, if we read it in a certain way, it seems to undermine what I just said about Jesus not discriminating, right? Uh, because when we hear these words, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. A lot of the time, I think we hear something like this in our heads. <clears throat> I'm not referring to Judas, because I didn't choose him to belong to me. I could have chosen Judas, and if I had, he would not betray me. But the prophecies of scripture needed to be fulfilled, so I didn't choose Judas. And that understanding of that verse is kind of undermining of this idea of the indiscriminate love of Jesus. Uh, because it seems to say that before Judas even had a chance to act, Jesus discriminated against him. Uh, he decided to leave him out. Now, I would like to suggest a different way of understanding uh, those words. I think that when Jesus says, I'm not referring to all of you, I know those I have chosen, what he's saying is something more like this. I'm not talking about Judas because I know the disciples I have chosen, each one of you, including Judas. And I know he does not love me. It's kind of like saying, um, I know one of you isn't going to follow me because I know this family inside out. I know those I have chosen. I know this family. In other words, I don't think Jesus is saying that he hasn't chosen Judas. Jesus is saying, I chose all of you, so I know you really well. And because of that, I know one of you is going to betray me. So if you're skeptical at all of that interpretation, uh, here's something I'd have you consider. There's one other place in John's Gospel where he uses that word chosen, where Jesus uses that word chosen. It's uh, in John chapter 6, verse 70. And he says, have not I chosen you 12? And yet one of you is a devil. So right there, Jesus clearly says that all 12 of the disciples, including Judas, are chosen. He chose them, even though one of them is a devil, uh, which I don't think he means that literally, but he means Judas is a betrayer, right? So when, uh, when Jesus says, I know those I have chosen, Judas is included in the chosen. Now, that doesn't mean that Judas is saved for eternity, okay? Um, because when Jesus talks about those he has chosen, he's not talking about that. He's not talking about salvation. What he's talking about is those that he's chosen to be his disciples. And Judas is one of those. As that verse says, I've chosen you 12, and one of you is a betrayer. And anyway, I bring that all up because I don't want us to feel like when, when Jesus goes and he washes Judas' feet in this act of radical, indiscriminate service and love, that it's really just a facade. That well before Jesus did that, he actually said, actually, I don't choose Judas. I, Judas is out. I don't, I'm not including him. Um, I think if we understand this verse, understand chosen as referring to Jesus choosing the disciples uh, rather than choosing people for salvation or not for salvation, it helps to make sense of this more. So that is my, my proposal. Uh, service doesn't discriminate. So those are some of the things that this story teaches us about what service looks like. Uh, let's talk now about the second thing it teaches us, why we should value service. 
Now, Jesus answers this question very, very clearly in verses 15 and 16. He says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So in other words, Jesus is saying, if I am really your master, if I am really your teacher, then you should be willing to wash feet just like I did. No servant is greater than his master, and your master is a foot washer. So you also should be foot washers. And what I want us to realize this morning, I want us to try and wrap our heads around what an incredible example uh, Jesus is setting for us. Because remember, Jesus isn't just a teacher, right? Jesus is God himself, God in the flesh, the incarnation of God. And that means that Jesus is fully human because he is the incarnate God. He is fully human. But at the same time, he's fully divine. He's fully God. And scripture tells us that Jesus, as a human being, was at the same time fully aware of who he was. He was fully aware of his divinity. Uh, he wasn't ignorant of it. And we see that in at least one, one place in our passage this morning, in uh, verse 3. It says, uh, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So Jesus is fully aware, right, of his power and of his position. And not only that, but Jesus was, was fully aware that he deserved honor and praise as someone who had that power and authority. Uh, there's a very... Uh, interesting story that, that, that demonstrates this, which comes in the chapter right before John 13, in John 12. Um, and I think, this is interesting, I think I actually preached on it exactly a year ago today. Um, that would be cool if anybody remembers. <laughs> but it's, it's a story where uh, a woman named Mary uh, anoints Jesus' feet with perfume. And she anoints him with not just any perfume, but a very, very expensive perfume. It's actually... Uh, a year's worth of wages of perfume. So about, let's say, $30,000 worth of perfume. And he, she, she just goes up to Jesus and she pours it all over his feet. And remember, again, feet in those times seen as gross, right? But she's pouring $30,000 worth of perfume on his feet. And not only that, but in those days, a woman's hair was considered to be her glory. And what she did was she took her hair and she used it to wipe Jesus' feet to wipe the perfume on Jesus' feet. And so she was saying, my glory is lesser than your grossness. You know, your, your worst deserves my best. And when this happened, Judas, Judas made kind of a good point. He said, what a waste. You know, all this perfume, it could have been sold and the money given to the poor. And Jesus' reaction shows that he recognizes that he does deserve honor and praise because what he says is, leave her alone. Leave her alone, Judas. She has done a beautiful thing for me. And the reason Jesus says that is because Mary recognizes something that Judas doesn't, which is that Jesus is of more value than anything. Nothing is more valuable than Jesus. Jesus really does deserve the highest honor that we can give him. He's worth way more than $30,000 worth of perfume. And yes, although he probably would prefer that we honor him by giving to the poor than by making his feet smell good, Mary's heart is in the right place. Right? Mary saw Jesus' supreme worth, 
And when, he did, when she did that, Jesus affirmed her in that. She was right to see him as worthy of that kind of honor and praise. And so if we recognize that that story happens right before this one, it makes this one even more remarkable. It makes the example that Jesus is setting even more incredible, right? Because in this story, the one whose feet are worthy of $30,000 worth of perfume goes and washes other people's feet, right? The one who acknowledges that he is worthy of the highest honor and praise goes and performs this extremely lowly act of service. Do you see how amazing that is? It's incredible. So Jesus takes our assumptions about how things should work, and he turns them upside down. Look at that verse again, uh, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. So Jesus knows that he is more powerful than anything. He's the supreme authority. Uh, and he knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he knew that he was divine, right? Jesus understood his power, and he understood, understood his divinity. And then in verse 4, it says, So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Do you see how backwards that is? You would think it would say, Jesus knew he had all this power and authority, so the disciples came and washed his feet. Right? But no, he knew he had all this power and authority, so he washed their feet. And what we're being told here is that true godliness and true power serves. Right? We think of power as being served, but Jesus' reasoning shows that we have that backwards. Jesus knew his power and his divinity, and so he served. Okay, so lastly, I said that this passage shows us uh, what we need to do before we can serve. This is the last major point uh, that I want to make this morning, and I think this might be the most crucial one of all for us to hear, what we need to do before we can serve. And what it teaches us is that if we are going to serve, we have to allow Jesus to serve us first. We have to allow Jesus to serve us first. Listen to that, ex that exchange that takes place between uh, Peter and Jesus again, starting in verse 6. It says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Peter, Peter is stunned. Remember, uh, Jewish servants don't even wash feet. Never mind Jewish rabbis. Never mind a rabbi of such great authority. And Jesus replies, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. So Peter's trying to be reverent here. Uh, he knows that Jesus is holy. He knows it's completely backwards for Jesus to be washing his feet. So he refuses. He protests. But then we have Jesus' reply, which I can't help but think was said a little sternly, uh, which is, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And Jesus' words there might sound harsh, but I actually find them really comforting. Because he's saying, you need to let me serve you. He's saying that if we're going to know him, if we are going to... Uh, serve others in his name, then we have to start by letting him minister to us. We don't start by giving to God. We actually start by receiving from him. And that's really good news. That's comforting. And I think that the way the conversation between Peter and Jesus progresses suggests that Jesus wants us to continually be served by him 
regularly. It's not something where you just kind of acknowledge, oh yes, Jesus died for my sins, so he served me, and now I'm going to be empowered for the rest of my life to just go and serve. No, it's something that has to happen over and over and over again. Um, so the reason I say that is, yes, because of the way the, the uh, conversation progresses. Um, Jesus, uh, Peter responds, uh, then Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Right, so Peter's like being overzealous as he always is consistently throughout the Gospels. Oh, well, if I have no part with you unless you wash me, then wash my whole body. Give me an entire bath. And, uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, <clears throat> so Jesus answers, like, calm down, Peter. <laughs> uh, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean. Now, this section of the story, in my opinion, is the hardest to interpret. Um, it's, it's, it's strange. Uh, but I'm pretty confident that what Jesus is saying here uh, is that once we've decided to follow him, we don't need to have a full bath over and over again. Right? In other words, uh, we don't need to be saved over and over again. Jesus wants us to rest secure in this idea that once we have put our trust in him, we are clean, and we can rest secure in that. Uh, one way of putting this is there is a significant event that occurs in a believer's life. Uh, you might call it the moment of conversion, where we move from uncleanliness to cleanliness in God's sight. And that is a, is a one-time event. Um, that is the moment when we receive Jesus by faith, and his Holy Spirit comes and indwells us. But... Even after we've done that, we still need to be served by Jesus on a regular basis. Uh, the body is clean, but the feet still get dirty, to put it metaphorically. And so we need Jesus to clean our feet on a regular basis. So what does that mean? Well, I think it can mean a lot of things. Uh, it means that we need to let Jesus clean up the parts of our lives that we hold back, that we haven't surrendered to him. We need to let him into those areas of our life that... You know, maybe we hold back. Um, it means we need to let him comfort us. You know, we need to hear the words that he's spoken, the words of comfort in scriptures, and, and let them apply to us. You know, take them in. Uh, it means we need, we need to be able to just sit in a quiet room and feel his presence with us and rest in it. So I think those are all ways that Jesus washes our feet on a regular basis if we let him. Um, I don't know if you have ever tried to serve for an extended period of time, serve God, serve people in the church, serve your neighbor without letting Jesus serve you. But I'm sure if you've tried to do it, it, it doesn't take long before you know it leads to burnout. Um, or it leads you to start serving people for the wrong reasons, or it leads you to get snippy with people and you get angry easily. Um, or just leads you to just give up on serving entirely, and you just kind of retreat and, and isolate yourself. And what I want to encourage you with this morning is that Jesus doesn't want you to serve on an empty tank. You know, he, he wants to fill that tank. Those of us who want to serve usually want to serve because we want to show Jesus to other people, right? And that is a great thing. But we need to be reminded this morning as we are emphasizing this value of service, uh, 
that we have to remember that Jesus needs to serve us first. And, and as we try to give Jesus to other people, we have to remember that Jesus is for us too. You know, this grace that we try to share, the love that we try to share, the gospel that we try to share, we have to be able to say, that's mine, right? Before we can say, oh, this is for you too. Can you say that to yourself? This is mine. That's important. So I could tell you this morning, and I have, that God wants you to serve. He's given us an example of what service looks like, that service involves doing hard things and doing things that might feel awkward and all that. And I have said that. But I don't want to close on that note. I want to close with the reminder that Jesus wants to serve you. Okay? So you have permission to take time for yourself. Um, not just once, but regularly. You have permission to take a walk and talk to him. Permission to take time just to maybe listen to music that uplifts your soul. Read scripture and recognize that its promises are for you too. You know, let someone pray for you rather than just praying for others. Because Jesus is for you too. And he wants to minister to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this incredible example that you set for us. God, it is so remarkable that you would take on flesh, that you would live the life of a human being, and that you would do something that in that culture was considered so humiliating um, as an example for us. God, we thank you that when you stepped into our world, you embodied that kind of service, that you would love and serve humanity in that way. It's just amazing. And I pray that that would not just be words to us, but, Lord, that would be a reality that we experience and believe. God, I pray that we would be people who serve one another, uh, that are willing to do things that feel awkward and um, do things that might feel beneath us in order to bless others. Uh, but I pray that before we do, we would let you wash our feet, that we would feel your care for us, God, and, um, and be transformed by it. In Jesus' name, amen.